Hello and welcome to Jetavanaram Buddhist Monastery. Today we meet with the third episode of this brand new series of Dhamma Talks. The purpose of these talks is to bring to you a new and fresh perspective to the philosophy of happiness. We understand that this is something that you and I and people all over the world strive for. Happiness, as simple as it sounds, it seems to be so complicated, seems to be so convoluted. It only requires us to open our eyes and have a look around us to realize that it seems to be a very complicated subject, a very difficult aim and goal to achieve. Evidence is that people seem to be doing all sorts of different things to achieve something that sounds so simple. So, our purpose then is to understand if there's a simple and yet effective path to achieving ultimate happiness. And so, on that journey, we take another step forward today. And before we do so, let us make our veneration to the Gautama Supreme Buddha and begin today's proceedings. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Why does something that seems so simple, that sounds so simple, seem to be so elusive. As I mentioned a moment ago, it only takes us a quick glance at people around us People just like us, who live ordinary lives and go about doing ordinary things. We know one thing for sure though, that behind each of those things, behind all such efforts, is one purpose, one aim and one goal. And that is to achieve happiness. With so many people trying so many different things, so many different paths, so many avenues, making so much effort to achieve this, how is it that it has escaped our grasp for so long? How is it that it seems like an incredibly difficult nut to crack? Are we looking in the wrong places? Eight billion of us? This experiment, that is the pursuit of happiness, has been attempted 
at least 8 billion times. And that is only at present. But if you consider the total number of attempts, which let's say is the total number of people that have ever lived on this earth, then we are talking about an uncountable number. So many different attempts, so much effort put into just one thing. Although it looks like we seem to be doing numerous things, at the end of it, at the end of the day, they're all for one purpose, and that we know is happiness. This is what we discussed in the first episode of our talk. So let's take a moment to try and understand what it is that we do currently to achieve this happiness and then take an analytical view to try and figure out if there's anything fundamentally wrong with what we do. Because, you see, as intelligent beings, we have the capability to think something through analytically and using intellect. We are able to identify if there's something wrong with what we do and then fix those errors. So that is a gift that we all possess. And what is the point of having such a gift, such an invaluable gift, if we don't make use of it to achieve the ultimate goal of our existence? We all know from our oldest memories of when we were young to our present times, however old you may be, there are numerous things that we have done in our lives and we have seen other people do in their lives. Right from tasting food, going places, hobbies such as gardening, playing musical instruments, singing, dancing, photography, art, to various things like professions that people are engaged in. Some people claim that the work they do makes them happy. In their professions, there are numerous things that people do to achieve this happiness. If we take a moment to study, if there's anything common in all these various enterprises and efforts, before long, it should become obvious to the analytical mind that regardless of the differences that lie between all these things, there is something that is common. And what is it that is common? It is that all these activities, the doing of these activities, the coming of these activities, or the becoming of these activities, their materializing is dependent on multiple factors. I'll take a very simple example. 
Let's say for instance, to be happy, someone likes to draw pictures. So they like drawing pictures and that is what makes them happy. This is a very common thing. When they look at the picture, when they draw it, when they visualize it, when they paint it or color it in some other way, all these things give them happiness. And that is why they continue to work on that. This is why they continue to do that. And that's fair enough. But is there something that is fundamentally wrong with drawing a picture if that is done for the purpose of happiness? I want you to start to think about that. And in the meantime, I'll take another example. Let's say someone likes to smell flowers. The sweet aroma of a flower. A jasmine. If that makes you happy, the sweet smell of a jasmine, is there something fundamentally wrong with hoping and expecting to achieve happiness through the process of smelling a flower. While you think about that, let me offer another example. Something that people often do for the purpose of happiness is food, eating, tasting. Different items of food are tried all over the world and new items of food are invented on a daily basis. Food scientists throughout the world in their laboratories try their very best to invent new dishes that appeal to people's palates. And this is because people seek pleasure, happiness, by tasting food. It is the taste of it that brings them happiness. So, three examples that I have presented to you. In each of these three examples, so drawing pictures, smelling a flower, tasting something nice, something delicious, all three things done for the purpose of achieving happiness. I've taken these three examples, not because there are no other examples to be taken. We could have taken any number of different examples. But they're simply examples because they're common. And if none of the above appeal to you, then I invite you to consider something that you do on a regular basis. That makes you happy. Because no matter what example you pick, they'll all fit with the description that we are about to make in regard to these examples. And what is that? Let us think about what is common between all three of these examples. All of these things require some activity. It is something that needs to be done for the purpose of happiness. It is through exercise, through activity, that happiness is achieved with all these three things. 
So what that implies is that to achieve happiness, something has to be done. Some activity has to be achieved, completed. Some effort has to be made. So that also implies that without that activity, without that effort, without that endeavor, we are not happy. So that kind of gives the impression, does it not, that happiness is not something that is natural. Think about this. Because happiness doesn't seem to be something that is natural, people have to do things to achieve happiness. So if, some, if happiness is the result of activity, of endeavor, of effort, then could we not draw a conclusion from the premise that we are currently discussing that happiness is something artificial? Because if none of these three things were done, then the people that did those things for the purpose of happiness wouldn't be happy. Isn't that so? You could take any number of other examples, some of which I stated right at the beginning. Going places, going to the movies, sightseeing, bird watching, having a beer, canoeing, rock climbing, abseiling, going camping, having a barbecue, meeting friends, having an affair. All these things. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. Do you see that all these things require activity? Most of you on a weekend, especially if you have a long weekend, you'd plan them, wouldn't you? You'd plan an outing. You'd plan what you would do with your family. So you may go on some websites, you may go on and speak to a travel advisor or a, some kind of a holiday operator. And you might ask them, what could I potentially do this weekend to be happy? I've had a long day or a long week at work and now it's time for me to enjoy myself. And to enjoy myself, then there must be something that I have to do. What does this tell us? If there is something that you need to do to be happy, then that implies that happiness is artificial. What do I mean by artificial here? What I mean is, it is not natural. So happiness is not a natural state. It is something that has to be achieved through activity. I think you all follow the point that I'm making here. Think about what you did last weekend. 
What did you get up to? How did you spend last weekend? Did you go see friends? Did you go to the pub? Did you order a takeaway? Maybe did you, perhaps you spend the weekend at home watching TV? Maybe you went out for a round of golf. Maybe you went for a drive. Maybe you went to the beach. Perhaps you spent some time flicking through your photo albums. Maybe you browsed the internet and maybe you played some games. Maybe sport is your thing. Perhaps you went swimming. Perhaps you wrote a letter. Maybe you have a pen pal on the other side of the across the globe and that is what you did to have fun that is what you did for enjoyment that is what you did for the sake of happiness no matter what you did would you agree with me that no matter what you did to achieve happiness you had to engage yourself in activity so that implies to us that in a state of rest, there is no happiness. It is effort that takes us from a state of no happiness to a state of happiness. It is activity and endeavor, enterprise, that takes us from a state of no happiness to a state of happiness, fulfillment and contentment. We have come to accept that, haven't we? Isn't this the way we work? Isn't this the way we live? Is there any point in your life where you have ever considered that there's something fundamentally wrong about the way we achieve happiness? Or have you always accepted this as the way it is? Have you not taken it for granted that this is what happiness is? It is something that has to be achieved, something that has to be worked hard for, continuously. Does it not feel that life in itself is a continuous effort to achieve happiness? At what point in your life can you stop trying to be happy and claim to be happy? without making any further effort? Have you ever achieved such a state in life? Do you think that is yet to come for you? At what age have you planned a happiness that is yours without any activity? Perhaps some of you are thinking of retirement and maybe you're thinking, well, isn't that what retirement is all about? Once I achieve my retirement age, then from that point forward, I don't have to do anything to be happy. I can just enjoy the fruits of my hard labor. Well, hang on a second. What are you planning to do after you retire? Perhaps retirement is just around the corner for some of you, and maybe that's a long way off for others. But what are you planning on doing once you have retired? Most of you will have a long bucket list of things that you'd like to do once you retire. 
Some of you will like to travel. See, again, that's activity, isn't it? Some of you might say, I'll just like to stay at home with my kids. Again, that's activity. You want to be with your kids. You want to be with your grandchildren, maybe. And that is what makes you happy. Perhaps you might say, I want to take up gardening. I'll have a lovely garden in my backyard. I'll grow some flowers, do, study a bit of horticulture. And that should keep me happy. Again, that's activity that you need to do. Perhaps you might think, what I plan for my retirement is to spend time with my friends. Or reading books. Maybe retire to the seaside and settle down there. But why the seaside? Because I like to go for a walk on the beach whenever I feel like it. The cool, soothing breeze of the sea, that should give me a that should keep me refreshed in my retirement. See, yet again, you're talking about things that have to be done. Activity, endeavor and effort. To keep you happy. Have you ever considered a day in your life where you could do absolutely nothing and be happy? Has a thought ever crossed your mind? And if the thought has never crossed your mind, is that because you've never considered that that would be possible? You'll be forgiven for thinking that way because no matter where you look, no matter who you look at, no matter what you study or who you study, everywhere you look at, all you see is evidence of people working hard, tirelessly, to achieve a state of happiness. So much so, that I think by now, it has been drilled into your minds. It has become the norm. You have accepted it wholly, entirely and categorically, without question, that happiness is something that has to be achieved through activity, effort and endeavor. Is there something fundamentally wrong with that? I doubt anyone has stopped to question. Because even if you did stop to question something like that, normally the response you'd get from people around you would be, you're just a lazy sort. How lazy could you be to even consider to be happy without doing anything? So it's a big no-no. You're not even supposed to think that way. Happiness must always be achieved through hard work. So much so that people say, no pain, no gain. To achieve any sort of gain, you have to go through pain. In very simple terms, it is through effort, through activity and through endeavor that you must achieve gain, which is happiness. Is there something fundamentally wrong with that, is what I like to invite you to question today. I know, this sounds so against and at odds with everything that we have learned in life. 
That is why I said, this series of talks is to entice you to take a new and fresh perspective at life. What is the philosophy of happiness? Has it eluded us for so long? Have we just caught up in the run-of-the-mill stuff that we go about doing every day? From dawn to dusk and then from dusk to dawn? The constant rat chase that we have completely forgotten to question the things that we do and to ask ourselves, are we doing the right things? Am I happy? I've done so much, I plan on doing so much more. Will I truly achieve a sense of happiness and satisfaction in my life? It is insanity, is it not, to keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result? I know. It sounds very unorthodox. It may seem like I'm questioning everything you've ever done in your life. The fundamentals with which you lived your life may be what I'm asking you today to put under the microscope. But you're all intelligent people. And what good is intelligence if we don't use it to question the most important things in our lives? So I'm asking you about happiness because it seems that that is all you have ever wanted. Happiness for yourself and happiness for your family. Happiness for your loved ones. Happiness for the people that you look after, the people you are responsible for. Everything we do in life, we do it for that. For that one purpose, one goal, one aim, one ambition. And with so much going for happiness, and yet with such little time in which we need to achieve this, is there anything that we need to scrutinize more? than the things that we do to achieve this happiness. So, in order to achieve happiness, we seem to be doing all sorts of things that we have today come to accept that the philosophy of happiness involves activity, gains you happiness. Effort gains you happiness. Endeavor brings you happiness. I'm not for a moment suggesting that you should all stop everything you're doing right now. That all the doctors should stop their surgeries, all the nurses should stop working in the hospitals, and all the police officers, all the firefighters, all the engineers, all the lawyers, all the teachers, all the mathematicians, and all the rocket scientists should all stop what they're doing and just pack up and go home and sit on their backsides and do nothing. And the whole world will be a better place. Absolutely not. That is not what I'm suggesting. Not one bit. 
we have our duties and responsibilities to each other. There are things that we need to do for each other and for ourselves that keeps us alive, that keeps the world going. We all have an important part to play in society, in our families, in the communities that we live in. And this hasn't been true more ever than in the climate that we're in today. We're in the midst of a global pandemic and all of the efforts that are being made by kind, generous people all over the world, every little bit is making a small difference. So I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should all stop all that, all that effort, all that activity and all that endeavor. That is not what I'm suggesting. I'm simply asking you to question the things that you have done so far in your life for the purpose of happiness. And I'm asking you to consider whether it is not, is it not the case that to achieve happiness you have always had to make effort, engage in activity. Have we not today come to accept then that happiness is artificial? And of course then, extending from that, suffering is natural. If happiness is artificial, then it seems like suffering is natural, by extension. Because if we don't engage in effort, if we don't engage in activity, then we are in a default state of suffering. And again, if you go back to the examples that we discussed a moment ago, it seems like that is the truth. Drawing that picture, smelling a flower, or eating something that you like. When you're not feeling your best, when you're not feeling great, these are some of the things that you might do. And through activity, you elevate yourself from a state of suffering, from a state of unhappiness, if I may choose that word, to a state of happiness. So it gives us the impression that it is activity that moves us from unhappiness to happiness, a state of unfulfillment to a state of fulfillment. That is what we have come to learn, that is what we have seen all around us, and that is all we've ever known. Today I ask you to question the very paradigms of your life and existence so far. I'm challenging the way in which you have conducted your life and thought about the philosophy of happiness up until now. I'm not for one moment suggesting that you should drop everything that you have ever considered to be true and accept what I have to say. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I always prefer to ask you questions and allow you to come to your own conclusions. 
I prefer that. That is what my teachers have always done with me. And it helps me to come to my own conclusions and I come to them with conviction. So I invite you to do the same. With the way it is, it appears that happiness is artificial. And what that means is, for us to be happy, numerous things have to be in order. Various things have to line up. Various conditions have to be true. So, again going back to the example of drawing a picture, for you to be elevated from a state of unhappiness to happiness, unfulfillment to fulfillment, unsatisfactoriness to satisfactoriness, you need to be able to draw that picture. To draw that picture, you need lots of factors to come together, such as, well, to put it quite simply, you'll need to find some paper. That has to be available. You'll need to find a pencil or a pen. That has to be available. If you want to color it, then you'll need to find some paint. That has to be available. You need to be able to use your fingers, your arms, to draw that picture. You'll need to be able to sit upright. You'll need to find some sort of canvas and draw that picture. You'll need to find some inspiration. Some artists might struggle with that. They want to draw something, but they're stuck for inspiration. And nothing comes out, even after hours of pondering, what do I do? What do I, what do I draw? See? So, if in drawing that picture, you believe you will be elevated from a state of unhappiness to happiness, then all these factors must line up all these conditions must turn true for that happiness to be achieved. And what is effort then? Effort is turning those factors, the right side up, lining them up, bringing them into order. Going to our second example of smelling a flower. That jasmine has to be found. You're not always surrounded by jasmines whenever you feel like you want to smell one. You will need to walk into your garden. So, what does that require? That requires you to first have a garden. Secondly, from wherever you are, you need to be able to walk up to your garden. So, that requires you to be of reasonably good health. Your arms and limbs and your, your body, that, all that needs to work properly. And then you need to get yourself, pick yourself up and walk yourself and get yourself to that flower. Or someone has to bring one to you. That requires activity. And then after that, you need to be able to hold that jasmine between your fingers, bring it up to your nose, and you also need to be able to inhale. All these things seem so simple. You might even be wondering... But these are things that we can do anyway. Why are we even considering this? Why do we even worry about any of these things? Ask someone who has lost their sense of smell and you will 
find the answer to that question. Ask someone who is not able to pick themselves up, get themselves out of bed and carry themselves to their flower garden and you will find the answer to that question. You see, all of those things require effort, activity and endeavor. There are numerous factors which must come together, which must come in line and in order for you to be able to smell that flower. As much as we like to take things for granted, I hope you are now beginning to see that actually for the simplest of things to happen, for us to be able to achieve the simplest of things that make us happy, so many different factors, numerous factors have to line up together. So many conditions have to turn true. Take the third example. Tasting something that you like, maybe a slice of pizza or maybe a beer, maybe a barbecue, maybe a cheesecake, maybe something as simple as an apple. To taste that sweet, delicious apple, as much as you think and you take it for granted, just think for a moment about all the different things that have to happen in the right order, in the right quantities for that apple to be tasted. First, you need to be able to find an apple. And if you don't have one, you might think, well, I'll just go to the supermarket, right? That may be so, but you need to be able to get to the supermarket. Do you remember when the whole country was in lockdown? And you weren't able to go to the supermarkets? What about then? Now how would you be able to taste that delicious apple? That apple has to leave the farm where they grow the apples all the way to the supermarket. All of that requires effort, activity and endeavor. For you to get to the supermarket to buy that apple and bring it home, have the money for pay, to pay for it, even if you grew an apple tree in your garden, that required effort. Picking it up, washing it, Slicing it and taking that first bite. If you analyze this, some, this thing that is so simple as tasting a slice of apple, you'll begin to realize how many different things have to happen in the right order, in the right quantities, for that outcome. That is tasting that apple. You need to be able to, your body needs to be able to function correctly. You need to have money with you. Apples need to be on trees or at least in the supermarket. What if it's out of season? What if the supermarket's shut? There must have surely been times when you really wanted something. You felt peckish about something and you wanted to maybe go out and get it, but it's the shops are closed. Then you had to wait until the following day. You can't tell me there's never been a time like that in your life. You never had such experiences. Well, then you have never, you haven't lived. We've all had so, those situations. We've all faced such situations. And we, 
it's time we learn from those situations. What do those situations teach us? What do those experiences enlighten us to? The simple fact that whenever we have sought happiness, it has had to be the result of effort, activity and endeavor. Meaning, all those factors need to, needed to have come together. Multiple conditions needed to be true. And no matter what example you would have thought of, the same concept applies. Isn't that true? Do you agree? I think it's obvious there are lots of things that we take for granted in our life but if only we stopped to think to ourselves how these things happen in our lives then you'll realize that although we take them for granted there are so many factors that have to come together so many conditions which have to turn true for those things to happen and the simplest of pleasures in life are the products of sometimes hugely complex processes, activities, things coming together. Sometimes it's only after we lose something do we realize the value of it. That is because we take things for granted. Then you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we lose our loved ones and then we realize what we had. That is because Something that we have enjoyed in our life was partly affected or partly made available by the presence of someone or something. And we never stopped to consider, we never stopped to ponder how it was that we achieved such things until it was time for us to say farewell. Until they left our lives for good. And then we realized those things that we took for granted in our life were actually things that were the result of much effort, activity and endeavor. So what is the fundamental problem if there is one with this pursuit of happiness? We are studying the philosophy of happiness and I am asking you this question. Is there something that is fundamentally wrong Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think for yourselves at this moment. As I said, rather than me teaching you, I'd much prefer to ask the right questions and for you to come up with the answers. Because then those answers are backed by conviction. Is there something that is fundamentally wrong if this is our pursuit of happiness? If to be happy, there are numerous conditions that have to come true. In other words, is there a problem? Is there a fundamental problem with conditional happiness? I think the answers are becoming obvious. What if?
What if? Whenever there is something that is conditional, what that means is, that will only be true when the conditions are right. A simple case of if this, then that. If not this, then no longer that. So if happiness is a case of if this, then that, well, what about when there is no this? Then there is no that. Take a moment to consider once again all the things that you have learned, you have seen, you have studied. Methods of achieving happiness. Right from your childhood, go back to your, the, the, the first memory you have of doing something that made you happy. To the present day. What did you do last weekend? What did you do last year? Where did you go last year? What did you do on your holiday? What are some of your hobbies? What are the things you do for fun? What makes you happy? If for all of these questions, your answers are things that are conditional, are things that require effort, activity and endeavor. My oh my. Do you not see a problem? Is it not all conditional happiness? And wherever there is conditional happiness, don't you see there's a problem? It is only as long as those conditions remain true. It's only for as long as those conditions remain true will the result or happiness be with you. So, at any moment, I think you can complete the sentence, at any moment, any one of those conditions turn false, what happens then? See, think about this. Take one of those examples. Smelling a flower. Your jasmine. Numerous conditions have to line up in order for you to be able to smell that flower. But only one condition has to turn false for you to no longer be able to smell that flower. You had to pick your, get yourself up. You had to get yourself to your garden. Pick up a flower between your fingers. Bring it to your nose and inhale. I'm not even going into the detail of all the things that have to happen inside your body. I'm not even going to talk about the physiology that needs to take place for you to be able to sense the smell of that flower. How your olfactory nerve has to be excited and how your, how your brain has to be able to pick up those signals and interpret them. All of these things have to happen as well. I'm not even going to go to that down to that level. But think about how many different conditions have to turn true for you to be able to smell that flower and if it is in inhaling and experiencing that sense, experiencing that fragrance that you achieve happiness, what if any one of those conditions turn false? Do you have to 
have multiple conditions turn false for you to be unable to smell that flower? You don't need multiple conditions to turn false. If your fingers didn't work and you weren't able to pick up that flower and bring it to your nostrils, that is just as bad as not being able to find the flower, which is just as bad as not being able to get yourself up, which is just as bad if you weren't able to inhale or if your nerve system did not work. which is just as bad if jasmine was out of season. But of course, science is very advanced in today's day and age, science and technology, and what science and technology are striving to do is to keep all those conditions tidied and in line. To be able to allow you help you and support you. Gain that experience whenever you feel the need for it. So science will make sure, or at least try to make sure, that jasmines are always in season. So even if you don't have them in your backyard, you'll be able to find them at a florist. Maybe at the supermarket. If you can't get yourself out of bed, perhaps you can order some flowers and they'll send it to you right to your doorstep. These are all gifts of science and technology. If you can't get yourself up and get yourself to your garden, then you can go to your doctor and seek medical advice and treatment and they may be able to fix you up. See, again, gifts of science and technology. But what, are science, what is science and technology always striving to do in each of these situations? It's trying to fix you up. In other words, bring those conditions in line. Science is an effort to make all those conditions true once again so that you can achieve conditional happiness. But for how long? When you fix one thing, the other thing breaks. When you fix that, another thing breaks. Hasn't life taught you that lesson by now? Conditional happiness. The happiness that we have always sought in our lives has been conditional. We have learned to become content with the conditional happiness because we have not known of any other. We have not seen another way. No one has shown us another path. As I said, wherever we looked, whatever we learned, every book we read, every man, woman or child that we observed, every friend that came and gave us friendly advice, our parents, our teachers, every course you took, everything you've learned, in life, is how to achieve conditional happiness. It may be that today is the first time in your life you have stopped to consider 
the fundamental problem with conditional happiness. For as long as happiness remains conditional, you will forever have to be in pursuit of it. You will forever have to take effort, activity and endeavor to achieve that happiness. But what if, just what if, there was a happiness that was unconditional? Wouldn't you like to know? If there was such a thing, happiness that was unconditional, happiness that was not dependent on external factors, happiness that did not that does not depend on you being able to pick up a flower, bring it to your nose, inhale, pick up a slice of pizza, bring it to your mouth, open it, bite it, chew it, swallow it. What if? What if there was a happiness that did not require you to travel the world, go to places, sightseeing, bird watching, what if you could just be happy without all these things? What if? Is that a dream? Is that a fantasy? That we'll find out next week. I encourage you to think about what you have learned today. I want you to, I'd like you to take examples from your life and question what we have discussed today. See if there are instances which you have achieved a happiness that was not conditional. But I assure you, unless you have ever come across a teaching, a philosophy of happiness that talked about unconditional happiness, no matter where you would have looked, you would have learned only one way of achieving happiness, and that is conditional happiness. Do you see today the fundamental problem with it? Next week, we'll discuss if there's an alternative. Let us then conclude by transferring the merits that we have earned today to all those who are deserving of those merits. And as I reminded you last week, this is our way of saying thank you to all those who have helped us to get this far and to achieve our happiness in life and to achieve, hopefully one day, a much greater unconditional happiness. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in the receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down to the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world 
including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. May, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. And may, through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhudasasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, and to those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed and continue to sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, Rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants in this blessed land. And finally, may, through the power of all the mates we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatun vahanse or an arahatnehenin vahanse, in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And with that, we will conclude today's talk. Looking forward to seeing you next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.